I realize I don't talk about it a whole lot, and I, I don't post a, a lot about it on social media, but um, you guys know Christmas is almost here, right? <laughs> it's like, we're just like right on the doorstep of the holidays, and week and a half from Thanksgiving, and then you're going to come back from Thanksgiving all fat and happy, and then we're going to be kicking off the Christmas season. I love the Christmas season. I love everything about it. I love that we're going to get to celebrate our first Christmas together here at Journey. But, yeah, woohoo! Uh, but along with that season, there comes a very practical, very real financial aspect to Christmas and the holiday season. And, and probably a lot of us are already starting to feel that pressure, like some of us are counting up like how many paychecks we're going to get between now and December 25th, and how we're going to manage those, and like what are our limits, and what are our goals, and what are, there's like this financial cloud that comes with all the joy and the greatness and the happiness of the Christmas season, and depending on who you listen to and who you read and who you believe, it's estimated that Americans will spend between $700 and $800 each during the Christmas season, and combined, America will spend between $600 and $800 billion in December. It's a huge financial month. It's big for retailers, it's big for family budgets and individual Budget six hundred to eight hundred billion dollars is going to get spent during the Christmas season, and it's not my goal today to talk about well, if we took that eight hundred billion and we used it in this other way. That's not where I'm going with this. I'm simply pointing out that financially we're heading into kind of a difficult time. If you haven't been with us, we're in a series called "The Struggle Is Real." And we've just been picking some really practical areas of our lives that most or all of us struggle in, and finances is one of those areas. I know we don't like to talk about it. I know that's not a subject we like to bring up, but just on a day-to-day practical aspect, finances is an area that most of us struggle with. Most of us probably struggle even kind of month-to-month, like what are we going to pay and how are we going to pay and what are, how are we going to manage this paycheck? Um, And all of us, I would say, go through seasons of our life where we struggle. Maybe it's not month to month, but there's certain seasons, an emergency comes up, something breaks, uh, somebody has to have some surgery, something takes place, and then sort of finances become like a big deal to us. There's probably not anybody here that would just say, you know what? Never worry about finances. I got more money than I can spend. I, got, I wish I had more bills just to kind of divide out my money a little bit more. I mean, probably none of us are in that category. And if you are, can I borrow 20 bucks after like at the... No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Most of us don't live in that world. Most of us live in the, okay, I've got a fixed amount of resources. And every month I'm trying to figure out how to manage that. And then you throw Christmas in there with its gifts and giving and pressure. Don't we feel pressure to buy this season? I mean, there's just that expectation, that pressure. They're going to get me something. I got to get them something. And parents, don't we feel pressure? Like We want our kids to have a good Christmas and we can't buy them everything. But I mean, we want to give them something. Nice. There's just this pressure 
financially that comes along with Christmas. So as a part of this, the Struggle is Real series, let's just talk about this topic for a little bit today. And here's what I'm asking. I'm asking for the next 25, 30 minutes, just 25, 30 minutes, would you lower your defensiveness about this topic, especially related to church? Like, can you just set aside that part of you that gets kind of riled up when preachers talk about this or televangelists or that church you know that did that thing with all that money that always comes up whenever this... All I'm asking for is 30 minutes of you not being mad. Can we just do that? Like 30 minutes. Tomorrow you can go right back to being mad. Right? You can email me how much you disagree with everything I said Tomorrow, right? I got a delete button just like you do. Just send, just email them, get it out, like whatever you need to get out. You can do it tomorrow. Can we just take 30 minutes and can we look at what the Bible actually says about money? Not what I say. Can we just look at some general principles? Because here's what I'm willing to wager. I'm willing to bet If you just set the defensiveness aside and you just look at what the Bible actually says about how to handle our finances, you're going to agree with all of it, at least the big principle. Maybe not some of the specifics, but the big principles the Bible teaches, I bet you agree completely with what it says, even if you're not practicing it. As a matter of fact, if you're a parent, as we go through these principles... I bet these are principles that you hope your kids live by financially, whether you're doing it or not. I bet you think, boy, I hope my kids do better at that than I'm doing. I hope my kids follow what the Bible says about money. So just 30 minutes, let's just look at some principles. And I'm just going to kind of move quickly and say, look, this is what the Bible teaches. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what the Bible teaches. Even if you're not a Christian today, if if you don't believe the Bible, I bet you won't disagree with the general principles that the Bible taught 4,000 years ago about how to handle our finances. So here we go. We're not mad. We're not defensive, right? 30 minutes. Here we go. First principle that the Bible teaches when it comes to finances is the principle of caution. It's the principle of caution, which may sound like a weird one to start with. The Bible does not say that money is bad or even wealth is bad. It never says that. As a matter of fact, some of the most well-known biblical characters were incredibly wealthy people. Abraham and David and Solomon and Jacob, all incredibly wealthy. The Bible does not say that wealth itself is bad, but the Bible consistently, Old Testament and New Testament says, this is an area you have to be really, really careful with because this is an area that will take over. Greed, the want for more, the lack of contentment, this will take over your thinking, this will take over your relationships, this will take over your goals. You have to be very, very cautious with the financial area of your life. First Timothy chapter 6, Paul's writing in the New Testament, and he says, those who want to get rich, in other words, that's their goal, money's their goal, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, your values get all messed up. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is a strong warning, not about money, but about my desires when it comes to money. My want for more, my never being satisfied, my getting my value system mixed up because it becomes all about consuming and having more and getting more and comparing myself to somebody else. And Paul says, be very careful, be very cautious with this particular area because it's ruined lives before. He even says at one point, some people get negatively affected spiritually. He said, I've seen some people get their values so mixed up when it comes to money that they wandered away from the faith. And then he says, I've seen others who've experienced all kinds of grief in their life, all kind of brokenness, all kind of hurt in their life because of this area. Be very, very careful how you view this area of your life. Consistently in surveys among married people, number one conflict in marriage is financial. Trying to get on the same page when it comes to money consistently turns out to be the number one source of stress and conflict in marriages. So first principle, be cautious, be careful. This will get a hold of your life. This will get a hold of your heart and your mind and your relationships. Principle number two is the principle of wisdom. Principle of wisdom. Proverbs 21.20. The wise store up choice food in olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. All throughout the Proverbs, there are these two paths that the proverb writer talks about. The wise path and the foolish path. And you're going to be on one of those. And you may be on a wise path in one area and a foolish path in another area. So he specifically talks about the financial area. And Paul says, he breaks it down to real simple categories. There are wise things to do with your money. And there are foolish things to do with your, with your money. Make sure you apply wisdom to your financial area. Because more money doesn't fix decision-making, does it? I mean, have you seen foolish people that get a lot of money? What generally tends to happen? They generally tend to wreck their life and lose all the money. This, this explains, and you've seen these stories, This explains why lottery winners can win millions of dollars, and many of them have stories that end up with broken marriages, broken families, and they've lost all of the money. Why? Because money is not the same as wisdom. Money's not the same as wise choices. That's why there's stories about pro athletes make millions of dollars. They retire and end up broke. Why? Because money's not the same as wisdom. Just to sort of put it bluntly, money doesn't fix stupid, does it? Money doesn't fix stupid. Money doesn't fix foolish. And more money doesn't mean that you can handle more money. And so the proverb writer says, look, there's a wise way to use your money. There's a wise way to spend your money. There's a wise way to save and invest your money. Be on that path because you got to understand, foolish people handle their resources differently than wise people, so be wise. About to step into the holiday season. Black Friday's coming, right? Gray Thursday, what? Purple Saturday, what? I don't know what all the colors, they got all the colors confused now. They got all of these, all of these things. We're about to step into the middle of this retail bonanza. Before we do that, you and I need 
on this end of the holidays to start asking, all right, what's going to be the wise way to use the resources that I have? Because I don't have unlimited resources. What is the wise way to use the resources as I go into the celebration of Christ's birth, as I go into Christmas and I want to give gifts? What is the wise thing to do with the resources that I have? Now, related to that wisdom when it comes to our money is the principle of planning and budgeting. All throughout the Bible, you see principles of order. And and God is depicted as a God of order and a God of planning, a God of foresight. That is to be true of our lives, and it is especially to be true of our lives in the area of our budgets, our finances, that we would bring order and discipline and planning to those ears. Here's kind of a weird, awkward verse, uh, a couple of verses in Proverbs. Let me read them and I'll explain them. This is from Proverbs 27, beginning in verse 23. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. When the hay is removed and new growth appears, and the grass from the hills is gathered in, the lambs will provide you with clothing, and the goats with the price of a field. You have plenty of goat's milk to feed you and your family and to nourish your servant girls. All right, like nobody relates to that here this morning, right? Like nobody's getting their clothes from their lamb this winter. Nobody is getting milk from their goats. I don't think there may be a few of you, but I mean, like nobody's going home and milking the goat and and taking care of, of your family's needs in that way. The principle that he's saying is understand how much you have. I mean, take a realistic look at what resources you have because, and he says this in the verses, because you don't know what's going to happen, you don't know what emergencies might take place. Take stock of where you are. Now, in our terms, in financial terms, that would mean get organized, plan, have a budget, know how much comes into your household every month, and begin to take stock of how much goes out of your household every month. Begin to track that information. And maybe you don't track it every month, but but maybe you track it for a little while just so you get a handle on This is what I have. This is what I spend. This is what my goals are. How do I make all of that work together? Now, a couple of sub-principles under that. What, What does a budget do for us? Well, a budget reveals reality. That's the main thing it does. When you put everything down on paper, a budget says, this is the reality of my financial situation. Now, let's be honest. Most of us don't like to live in reality, right? I mean, it's an awful place to hang out, especially financially. But you ought to visit there every once in a while, all right? Live the rest of your world in fantasy land, but every once in a while, take a trip over to reality land and realize where your financial situation actually is. Because the budget will say in black and white, on a spreadsheet or a piece of paper, this is what you have. And then begin to ask, Where's it going? What am I spending this on every month? How is it disappearing? So it it reveals reality. Second thing it reveals, it reveals priority. I mean, if you honestly do this, 
If you honestly put a budget together, track your spending, you're going to be able to step back from that piece of paper and go, oh, now I see what's important to me. Because we always finance what's important to us. We find a way to pay for the things that are most important to us. So a budget reveals reality. A budget reveals priority. Third thing a budget does, it makes discipline and order possible in my life. It makes it possible. A budget has no power over our spending, does it? Like a budget can't make us stick to a budget. But if you don't have one, if you have no clue how much comes in and how much goes out and where it's going, order in our financial area is next to impossible. So a budget makes it attainable. It makes it possible that I could bring this order to my financial area. Principle of planning and budgeting. Another principle from the Bible is the principle of saving. The principle of setting aside for emergencies, for future goals, for future events. The principle of saving. I read this verse a minute ago, Proverbs 21.20. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. In other words, the wise person has set some aside, but a foolish man devours all he has. Foolish person consumes everything that comes in. Wise person sets aside a part of what comes in for future. Now, notice it doesn't say that a rich man does this. It doesn't say a rich man sets aside something. It says a wise person. Regardless of where we are on the economic spectrum, and we're, we're spread way out here, no doubt. Regardless of where we land, part of applying wisdom to our financial area is saying, look, I'm going to take a little bit of this and I'm going to set it aside just in case. Now, obviously, there is a difference between saving and hoarding. There is a difference between saving and being selfish. There's a difference between saving and being stingy. The Bible does not advocate any of that. But the Bible does advocate this planning and thinking ahead and setting aside and saving. Sub-principle of saving is this. It's the principle of small things. The principle of small things. Proverbs chapter 13, 11. Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Principle of small things. Savings for most of us happens we take just a little bit, and then we don't touch it. We set it aside and don't touch it. And we take a little bit the next paycheck, and we set it aside and we don't touch it. We take a little bit the next paycheck, and we set it aside. That's how savings works for most of us. That's how emergency funding works for most of us. Most of us can't dump ten grand in a savings account tomorrow. Right? Most of us don't have a rich uncle. Right? We're not getting a million-dollar inheritance next week. Again, if that's you, talk to me. I can be adopted like into your family if that's you. I would, I would change my last name and everything. But that's not most of us. Most of us aren't getting this huge sum. Most of us, and the reason the Bible says it this way is, look, if you want to make progress, don't think, well, i got to have X amount of money for my kid's college. All right? Think, how can I just start setting some aside? I am the father of three daughters. 
better know that I'm thinking 20 years down the road when they get married. <laughs> but that takes is little by little. By, because for most of us, savings, reserve, cushion, it happens little by little. And the reverse is true too. Let me just kind of examine your own life. The reverse is true too. We lose money little by little too, don't we? I mean, we lose money one latte at a time, don't we? We lose money one drive through at a time. It's just gone. And I'm not against lattes or drive throughs Love them both. But as we're trying to honor the principles that we find in God's Word, I have to ask myself, where am I setting aside little by little? Where am I losing money little by little that maybe I could reroute into savings? Because that's the way most of our budget works. Next principle. is the principle of debt avoidance. <clears throat> the principle of debt avoidance. It's a principle from the Bible. Here's how it's worded in one place. Proverbs 22, 7. The rich... Rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Just like we have this huge caution about money, the love of money in general, we have a specific caution in the Bible about borrowing money. And, and I'm not someone that thinks you should never borrow money or there aren't legitimate reasons to borrow money. I, I'm not that absolutely no debt whatsoever. But the Bible is really clear that whenever we do that, we're placing ourselves in the position of bondage to whoever we owe money. We're putting ourselves in a weaker position, a difficult position, because now we owe somebody. And as much as possible, I think the Bible would encourage us, you need to avoid that. You need to step away from that. As, as, as much as possible, let's say it in a more positive way, as much as possible, let's live within our means. Let's look at our budget. Let's figure out, all right, if we need to make a purchase, how do we set money aside for that purchase? Yes, there are going to be times that we may need to borrow money for some, some big thing, uh, a house, for example. I don't think very many of us would ever own a home if we had to pay cash for it. But specifically, consumer debt, revolving credit, and hey, we're heading into Christmas, right? And it is so easy to put ourselves in debt over Christmas because everybody has interest free till January 2018, right? Everybody has, hey, get an extra 20% if you sign up for a credit card. Every place you go is pushing debt on us. And yet the Bible says you need to be really, really careful when it comes to debt. And as much as possible, you need to avoid it. Last principle. From God's word. It's the principle of generosity. Just like God gives us all of these other great principles of how to manage our finances, He also gives us this principle of generosity. Now, what is generosity? What is the essence of generosity? Generosity is determining that I'm not going to spend everything that I make on me. That's all it is. It's determining... I am not going to spend every dollar that comes into my house on me and mine. I'm going to reserve a part of what I earn. 
I worked for it. I earned it. Yep. I earned. I'm going to reserve it to give away. You could think of this as a generosity gap. I mean, that's what the Bible's asking us to create in our budget, in our finances. The Bible's asking us to create a generosity gap between what we make and what we spend on ourselves or even what we save on ourselves, that there is to be some portion of our resources that we freely give away. As a guard, I think, as a guard against becoming selfish and stingy and focused on money. I mean, if there's one helpful, hugely helpful practice that God has given us in order to break the bond, the bondage that we, we have towards money, it's giving money away. And because if you want to get free of this constant need for more and more and more, just start giving some of it away. Just decide, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this part of my income and I'm not going to spend it on me. I'm going to spend it on something else. I'm going to give it freely. Paul writes, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, another warning, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul's saying, look, wherever you are on the economic spectrum, wherever you are, reserve some part of your resources for others that you give away, that you don't lay claim to as your right to spend on you, but you create a gap where you just let money freely flow to needs. We're, coming in, we're pulling into Christmas, and there are all kinds of needs. And, and maybe, maybe the practice of just reserving, like I'm going to reserve this amount, and I'm going to ask God to make me aware of where there are needs, where I can put this, where somebody that needs help. That's, that's creating a generosity gap. Right? Finding... Uh, 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 a charitable organization, finding a needy person and saying, look, I'm going to help. Maybe you do it anonymously even. This is going to be a part of creating this generosity gap in my budget is I'm going to resource people that are in need. Now, I, I believe a part of this generosity gap is financially supporting the church where you worship and where you attend and where you're hearing the gospel and where you're growing and where ministry is being done. It's not the, the sum total of that generosity gap, but I, I do believe that the Bible's really clear that a part of us giving is being faithful to give through the ministry that is ministering to our family, supporting our family, that we're a part of, where we're serving so that we can be a part of that. And I would, I would encourage you, as you're creating this generosity gap, ask God, what part of that am I supposed to help at my church? What, what part of that am I supposed to give back to the church where I'm worshiping and being ministered to and, and serving? For, for my family, as we've studied God's Word, <clears throat> we believe a great place to start is the tithe, is with 10%. Just that belongs to God. We're going to give it to the church where we attend. We're going to be faithful to do that consistently, month after month, week after week, paycheck after paycheck, just as an act of generosity. 
that we would be consistent. And I would, I would challenge you. I know we are coming up to a huge spending season. I know we've all got things that we're, bills we're trying to figure out and how we're going to make Christmas work. I would challenge you in that generation gap, wherever you worship, wherever you attend, for most of you it's here, for some of you maybe it's somewhere else, how am I carving out consistently? If you're kind of an every once in a while giver, maybe that's your next step, is to say, God, I want to consistently honor you, not just every once in a while, but on a monthly basis or a weekly basis or a paycheck basis. I want to consistently, not just every once in a while, honor you. Maybe you're a consistent giver, but you haven't become a percentage giver. And you would say, God, I want to I bring some discipline to my generosity. I want to faithfully give the same percentage of what you've blessed me with. I want to give that back consistently again and again and again. Now, if you pull back from these principles, at least the big points that I've made, really hard to argue with any of them. Really hard to say, no, I don't want my kids to be generous. I hope my kids never save any money. I hope my kids get, they're just drowning in debt by the time they're 25. That's my goal financially for my kids. I, I bet you would say, I hope my kids are careful with their money. I hope they're cautious. Both in how they spend it and how they view it and how much it controls their life. I hope they're wise. I hope they make wise decisions. You see, what I, what, what I think has happened is we really don't have a problem with what the Bible has to say about money. We really don't. We have a problem, do we? I mean, that's our problem. We have a problem implementing the principle. Because the principles, we would now say, are common sense. Well, the reason they're common sense is because God said this is the way it's going to work thousands of years ago. We would say all of these principles are common sense. Well, yeah, you should do that. Our problem is not with what the Bible says in this and most every other area of our life. The problem is actually doing it. So my encouragement to you is do it. Start somewhere. Start at some level to begin to bring the financial area of your life under the authority of God and what He teaches. Because He's not teaching these principles to try to get money out of you. He's teaching these principles to us because He knows this is the best way to live. This is what's best for our heart and our minds and our outlooks and our relationships and our future and our joy. You believe it's true, so do it. Practice it. Try it. Let's pray. God, every good and perfect gift comes from you. 